Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Warning. Guests of The Roy Green Show may experience the truth, being in the hot seat, and in some cases, crying. The Roy Green Show continues on the Chorus Radio Network. For some time, there's been stories that have come out of uh, Europe about sexual assaults on uh, European women by migrants and refugee claimants. And initially, those stories were seemed to be just shoved under the rug, as it were. It was, they weren't talked about. They were rumored, and people would send emails saying, this is going on, and that's going on. But media reports were scarce. Politicians weren't saying very much, and very few people were going to jail. I, uh, I read a column that uh, appeared on uh, nationalinterest.org by uh, Dr. Cheryl Menard. She was a program director of the Initiative for Middle Eastern Youth and the Alternative Strategies Initiative within the RAND Corporation's National Security Research Division. Her publications include Civil Democratic Islam, and that was found among the books that Osama bin Laden had when the U.S. Navy SEALs raid on the compound he had in Pakistan took place, the uh, current column in, uh, that, that uh, Dr. Bernard has on um, the nationalinterest.org is headlined, I've worked with refugees for decades, Europe's Afghan crime wave is mind-boggling, and Dr. Cheryl Bernard joins us from Italy on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Dr. Bernard, thank you so much for taking the time, and would you share with us what your background is as far as working with refugees is concerned? So I've worked with refugees for many, many decades, starting with the refugee situation in Pakistan during the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan when huge camps, about 3 million refugees, were set up in, in the Pakistan border area. And I was at the time working for a European think tank, and we were sent there to evaluate the health programs and the other aid programs, education and so on, being developed for the refugees. So I've kind of been an advocate for refugees for most of my professional life. I've also worked in Yemen, Nicaragua, and a whole other list of countries on refugee-related matters. Did you have any expectation of how this intense migration into Europe from the Middle East and North Africa was going to play out when it first began? So I have, you know, two hats, so to speak. One is my, my humanitarian refugee aid hat, and my other hat is my counterterrorism hat, which is the topic that I was working on mostly for the Rand Corporation. And with the second hat, it was pretty clear to any observer who thought about it for five minutes, that this was a very worrisome situation because you were having large numbers of people come in much more quickly than you possibly could see who they were. They were just flooding across the borders, and you, even if you assumed the best, which is that most of them were legitimate refugees with no bad intentions, you had to know that this was an opportunity that radical extremist groups were not going to pass up. What I had not anticipated, and that is why I decided to write this, this article, I had not anticipated the crime aspect of it. 
I thought that there were going to be terrorism-associated risks, and I thought there were going to be social risks, especially of the refugees internally, as you had these warring groups sort of, you know, flooding in together. But I didn't think that they were going to commit crimes on this scale. And it's not just sex crimes, it's crimes across the board. Uh, you know, robberies, thefts, there have been some murders as well committed by by the refugees against the, the native population. Before we look at the broader reality of the crime wave, you write in the article, vicious, no preamble sexual attacks on random girls and women often committed by gangs or packs of young men. Um, and those those have been over at least the first year or so, a year and a half. Is it fair to say that they've been swept under the proverbial rug? Well, definitely. So the, the media, actually, this, this, the media, partly on their own initiative, because they wanted to prevent a right-wing backlash, and partly because they were being pressed by their respective governments to not talk about this. Uh, really misrepresented or failed to represent the situation. There are some very interesting statements that I managed to dig up from various police unions, too, who were very angry at being directed from above not to talk about this and to sort of keep a secret the nationality or the asylum status of the perpetrators in order to avoid what the authorities feared was going to be a, a backlash. So European governments were ready to sacrifice their own vulnerable girls and women to marauders. That's pretty much what it boils down to, I'm sorry to say, yes. I guess they're in, they would put it differently. They would say that, well, these are transitional problems and it'll all get settled down and we don't want you know a huge political conflict to occur. But what you're saying is exactly what it is. The German vice chancellor just a few weeks ago said Germans who oppose refugee claimants should be in prison. There, there you are, exactly. And there have been tragic cases, for example, last year... Uh, the, the daughter of a member of the EU parliament wh- who actually had volunteered to help refugees, too, because that was sort of her family's bent, was, uh, was raped and murdered by, uh, by, also by an Afghan refugee in, in last fall. And, you know, and then again, the father was sort of feeling this dilemma. Well, it's his daughter, and this is obviously a horrible family tragedy, but he doesn't want this to be, you know, to cause political issues. So you, you really have to think about the hierarchy of what's important to your society, and they're only now beginning to do that. I, I am doing some follow-up research because I got quite a bit of backlash myself for my article, um, which was perceived by some as, uh, you know, as maybe fanning the flames that shouldn't be fanned. So I, I, I dug deeper and, and went looking for data. And in Detail, which is a newspaper that no one can accuse of being, uh, of being right-wing, they, they, in turn, dug up some crime statistics that were published, but published very, in a very difficult-to-find manner. And one of the results of that is that 7.7% of rapes in Germany were committed by migrants, although they are only 0.5% of the population. So there you have some numbers, and it's not just impressionistic. That's a scary number. Exactly. Because if I, if I understand what, is, what happens in society... These numbers are not going to get smaller. They'll just get bigger. Well, they're going to get bigger. And what worries me when I look at the sex crimes in particular, you had that little quote at the beginning. A lot of them are, so, so you know, one of the excuses that people give is, well, these are cultural misunderstandings, and these are young men who are not used to interacting with young women, and they're just, you know, they don't know how to behave, so they're reading the wrong signals, and that's one of the excuses that's made for them. But then when you look at the actual cases, 
that totally is negated because what's happening is you'll have, for example, a woman walking in the park with her infant in a baby buggy and a stroller and her, her toddler walking next to her and she's just walking along the park and suddenly she's lunged at by an Afghan refugee. Well, there's no misunderstanding possible there. That's just flat out a crazy attack. And most of the cases that I find and that I cite in my article are in the nature of those sorts of attacks. Now, some of them, if you look at them, are also rather inept because they'll do them in public places where the other passers-by will intervene them. So my concern is that they're going to get better at it. And we're going to have more statistics, and they're going to be, you know, it's going to be a worse problem. It's, I don't think this problem is going away. Well, it, and, and it, it seems to be because, again, the vice chancellor of Germany said that his own people, Germans, should be thrown in prison. Not the rapists, but the German people who are against the refugees should be thrown in prison. This isn't just happening in Germany, is it, Dr. Bernard? It's, Bernard, it's happening across Europe where refugees, and, uh, and, and it's not all refugees and it's not all migrants, clearly, but it is happening in countries where refugees and migrants have been welcomed and have settled, or in the process of trying uh, to settle. The other, the other problem is that once, even if you have, uh, you know, you... you you arrest this person and there's a trial and they're found guilty, they still can't be deported. So you're essentially stuck with these people forever. And, 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 and this is a legal issue that the, that the EU is going to have to look at because their laws are not designed for situations such as these. All right, let me get you to hold on, please. And, and you're right in your, in your article, and we'll come back and, and talk about this, that Europeans are scorned by migrants and refugees simply because they see Europe as a decaying society with no backbone and no willingness to protect their own girls and women and ripe for the taking as they attempt rapes in the middle of towns in the middle of the day. Remember, again, the German vice chancellor said Germans who oppose refugee claimants should be in prison. And Dr. Bernard writes in her column that, or her article, that it is primarily young Afghan males who are involved in these particular crimes that she's writing about. We'll talk to her about that. When we come back, and remember at the bottom of the hour, Luzi Stamm from the Swiss Parliament will be with us in 2014. The Swiss people, by a majority in one of their regularly scheduled referenda, decided they wanted no mass migration to Switzerland, and uh, the federal government has three years to pass the legislation and satisfy the will of the people, so it would have had to been passed or will have to be passed by this year. And also going on in Europe, Hungary... The Czech Republic and Poland are telling the European Union, forget about it when the EU tells them you have to take X number of refugee claimants and migrants just so the other countries don't have to take so many. Um, Poland hasn't taken even one. The Czech Republic says no. Hungary had a referendum and they, uh, 98% of Hungarians said we don't want them. And uh, then the argument was, well, your referendum isn't valid, isn't legitimate because only 40% of Hungarians voted in the, uh, and, and the, uh, the minimum was going to be 50%. The Hungarian prime minister says, nope, that uh, is the way it is. So, more with Dr. Cheryl Bernard when we come back on the Chorus Radio Network. Intelligent Talk Radio. Intelligent Talk Radio. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Follow me on Twitter at the Roy Green Show and emails to Roy 
at RoyGreenShow.com. My uh, Roy Green Show page is available to you on any of the websites of the chorus radio stations that carry this program. And you can listen back to uh, any of the segments we air. You can also download them in the uh, podcasts. So it's Roy Green Show page at any of the chorus radio stations which carry this program, like the one you're listening to now. Dr. Cheryl Bernard is my guest. Her article is, I've worked with refugees for decades. Europe's Afghan crime wave is mind-boggling, and that's at nationalinterest.org. Uh, Dr. Bernard, Afghan young Afghan males, you write, are predominantly the ones who are engaged in the kinds of acts that you've uh, described. Why? Yeah, that's very baffling. Uh, there, there are much higher percentage of um, of being involved in these sorts of crimes than, for example, the Syrian refugees. Partly, it could be the constitution of the group. The the Syrians usually come from urban areas. They're a lot more educated. They come with their family, and I would say they're actually genuine refugees too, which the Afghans aren't really. The Afghans are young men who are kind of a the spearhead of of an attempt to get into Europe and take advantage of some of the social and economic offerings that Europe has. Um, they're, not, they're not refugees in that sense. And on that note, what I would like to say and, and have people think about a little bit is, when I started in refugee work in the very early 1980s, it was perfectly normal and everyone knew that there were three categories. There were refugees, where there had been some enormous crisis, like a, a famine, or a war, and people were not able to stay in their place very urgently, had to leave. And they were typically settled somewhere in a refugee camp near their home. Then there were asylum seekers. These were people where you thought, well, they're not going to be able to go home probably ever because they belonged to a persecuted political group or a regime that had been overthrown or a, a minority that was being persecuted there. So they had to get political asylum, and that was typically a small group. And then you had completely separate from that, you had migrants. And I think one of the big problems that we face today is that somehow these three groups have gotten mixed up with each other. And we're treating everybody as migrants, when in fact the refugees shouldn't be coming to the West at all. These refugees should find safety, and we should help pay for it perhaps, in their own region, in their own neighborhood, with the understanding that as soon as the crisis ends, they go home again. Instead, suddenly, they're all migrants. Uh, is there a message here for Canada and the United States? Definitely. I think that definition has to stop. If you're First of all, the people that you're bringing in, you must vet them. And however you feel about Trump, it's this, on this point, there, it's hard to argue that he's not right. You have to drastically vet these people and know exactly who is coming in, where they, where, what they're all about, what their values are, and how they're likely to behave when they're here. That's one. Two, you're going to have to look at your legal system and see if you have somebody who's definitely a bad actor, are you going to be able to deport that person easily? Or is that person going to linger around troubling your legal system for the next 20 years or possibly for their entire lives? And three, you're going to have to look at what is a refugee? And, and if a person is not from a war zone or an, an immediate area of peril, they're not a refugee and they shouldn't be coming to a, a different country except through an immigration program. All right, Bernard, one more question. You, you mentioned that the uh, judicial systems in, the, in Europe are not capable of, of really quickly dealing with, uh, with these individuals and kicking them out when they've committed these uh, crimes, uh, uh, the, the rapes and also the additional crimes that, 
that you say are going on. Um, is there a real danger of a societal backlash? Well, I think this could, I, I don't see a happy end here. I see, you know, two bad endings. One bad ending is that these societies remain as passive and, you know, as wrongly liberal in the wrong way uh, as they currently are. And this problem grows to a dimension where it can't be handled anymore. And you literally have, you know, sort of a Mongol invasion kind of situation with hordes of extremely violent men rampaging across Europe. And I'm exaggerating, but not very much. Or the second situation is that people finally sort of wake up to the danger, and perhaps the institutions don't, but civil society does, and then you get huge societal conflicts. And neither one of those are a very desirable outcome. No, they're not. And as you say, Canada, there's a message here for Canada and the United States as well. Dr. Bernard, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I was glad to talk about this with you. Thank you. Bye. Uh, bye-bye. Dr. Cheryl Bernard joining us from uh, Sicily. Unfortunately, once again, the uh, phones are not the best. And as I said last weekend, we put a man on the moon 50 years ago, and we still can't get phones to work properly. There's a very worrying situation in, in Europe. Very worrying situation in Europe. And the Czech Republic and uh, Poland and Hungary are saying to the EU, you can tell us we have to take people in. We're not doing it. We're not doing it. And the Hungarians have their armies on the their army on the borders. Um, Poland hasn't taken one person. And the EU says, well, you have to. And they're saying, nuts, we're not doing it. And you can read what I wrote about it on uh, my show page. Just go to your favorite chorus radio station and website and then go to my show page and you'll read what I wrote about this. Now, when we come back... When we come back, we're going to speak with um, Lucy Stamm. We've talked to Mr. Stamm on a number of occasions about what goes on in Switzerland and specifically what goes on as far as the referenda exercise is concerned. Constitutionally, the people of Switzerland have the opportunity three or four times a year to decide for their governments what the government's going to do. And they do it either by initiating um, a, a, uh, a demand and then, and then voting on it, or the Swiss government introduces legislation and the Swiss people say yay or nay. And if they say nay, then the Swiss government can't go ahead. Well, the Swiss people in 2014, in a referendum that was sponsored by the Swiss People's Party, said no mass migration to this country. When we come back, Luci Stamm, who was the vice president of the Swiss People's Party at the time, and stewarded that particular referendum initiative, he'll join us from Switzerland. <laughs> 